Jesus often used repetition in his teaching, and we see it in, in our text. If you were listening, or if you look at verse 7, twice in that verse he uses the word understand. He says, what I am doing now you do not understand, but afterward you will understand. In verse 12, he, he, he asks, do you understand what I have done to you? Now, this is a Hebrew way of teaching, and it is, it is significant. There was something that the disciples did not understand that they needed to understand. And really, the lesson is the same for us as his disciples. Today, do we understand that there is much about the work of Jesus Christ, that there is much about his gospel that we struggle day by day to understand and live in light of? At this point, the disciples had spent three years with Jesus, and yet, Here we find them, and there is so much they still do not understand. We know from the other gospel writers that right before this happened, do you remember what they were doing? They were arguing over who was the greatest. And Jesus, our gracious Savior, knowing that these men were proud and sinful, and that they didn't understand, sought to help them understand the gospel, to show them what he came to do for sinners like them. And he does that in a sort of acted out parable from the table, a living picture of the gospel wherein he stoops down and he washes their feet. And friends, this reminds us that no matter how many years we have walked with Christ, no matter how many years we have been part of the church and heard the word preached, the gospel is not something we get and then graduate to other things. We struggle to understand the gospel. We struggle to live in light day by day of what Jesus has done for us. We so easily lose sight of Him in our daily walk. But Jesus, our gracious rabbi and teacher, He's ever and always teaching us about His love and His power and His grace. And just as He did for the disciples in the upper room, He's teaching us through this acted out parable. I mentioned that chapter 13 began a new section in John's Gospel. And uh, sort of a key phrase in the Gospel is Jesus' hour. Remember at the, uh, the, the wedding in Cana in Galilee, Jesus said to his mother, Woman, my hour has not yet come. In John's Gospel, the hour is the hour of the cross. And look how John begins here. Jesus knew that His hour had come. He knew that the climactic moment of the cross was in view. This very night He would be arrested 
The next morning, he would be crucified. He would die later that afternoon. His hour had come, and Jesus had a sense of this moment. We read that before the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of the world to the Father. Jesus knew that the time had come wherein he would enter into intense conflict with Satan. What was prophesied in Genesis 3.15, that the, the seed of the woman would crush the head of the serpent. And that in the process, Jesus, the seed of the woman, would bruise his heel. He knew that that hour had arrived. Did you catch how the serpent was already in the room? He had infiltrated the inner circle. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot to betray him. Jesus had entered into battle wherein he would destroy the devil and free us from sin and death and hell. He knew that his hour had come to depart out of the world to the Father. And then there's this wonderful statement. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. You see, Jesus' hour and his love for us are connected because his love would come to its full expression at the cross where he would lay down his life for us. That is where he loves us to the end. I want you to look at verse 3. And John really introduces uh, what's, what's about to happen. He gives us a framework for understanding uh, Jesus' foot washing. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God. That is what's going to be pictured in the foot washing. Jesus had come from God and he was going back to God. In other words, he had came from his Father in the Incarnation. He had lived a life of obedience in our place. He suffered the cursed death of the cross. He would be buried, raised, and he would ascend back to his Father. And I want to submit to you this morning that what is pictured in the foot washing is a vivid and memorable illustration of that truth. One writer called Jesus' actions in the foot washing a dramatization of his work of salvation. And so let's think about Jesus' actions and let's first think about his act of humiliation. Look at verses 3 to 5 with me. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God, and was going back to God, rose from supper. 
he laid aside his outer garments and, taking a towel, he tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet. I think it's hard for us to maybe grasp how striking this was. This was an act of unheard of humility. Only the lowest servants washed feet. And here is the Lord of glory, the King of kings. And what is he doing? He's stooping to wash the feet of his sinful, proud disciples. Now I want you to put yourself in their shoes No pun intended because they didn't have shoes on at this point. How would you have felt? This must have been absolutely excruciating and humbling for these men. They were just arguing about who was the greatest. And if you're arguing about who's the greatest, no one's going to wash anyone's feet. They didn't even wash Jesus' feet. And now the king of kings stoops to wash their feet. Imagine having your feet washed by the king of kings because of your sin and your pride and your spiritual dullness. It must have been heartbreaking for these men. It must have been excruciating. And the the pain and the awkwardness comes out in Peter's response when he says, you will never wash my feet. And what he says in the Greek is, not in a million years, Lord. You see, it was excruciating because it exposed their sin. Jesus was doing something that they should have done. He was making up for what they failed to do. And you notice how initially Peter refused to humble himself. He didn't want Jesus to wash his feet. He didn't want Jesus cleansing, but we see Jesus graciously subdue him. You see, Jesus' act of love Humility was exposing. And there's a lesson in this for us. Because when we look to the cross of Jesus Christ, where he committed that ultimate act of humiliation, where he stooped to the lowest of the low for us, it should be exposing. And it should be painful. And it should be heartbreaking. Because the cross says something about us. It reveals our sin and our selfishness. It reveals what we have failed to do. It reminds us that that Jesus was dying not for His own sins, but for our sins. And hear me correctly, yes, the cross should ultimately lead us to the comfort and the mercy and the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. But not before 
we are heartbroken and contrite, not before we, as Jesus said, mourn over our sin. Jesus' act of humiliation was exposing and it was convicting. And yet it was necessary for our cleansing. But let's secondly think about Jesus' picture of the gospel, his dramatization of the work of salvation. Uh, Look at verse 7. Jesus says, what I am doing now you do not understand, but afterward you will understand. After what? After the cross, after his resurrection and ascension. You see, Jesus is is hinting that his actions were very significant. They were a picture of something greater, a living illustration of the gospel. He's saying to us, I know you struggle to understand what I have done for you, but let me graciously help you understand that you might see my love and my grace toward you. Look at verse 3. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God. Again, this is, this is John highlighting for us. Here is what the foot washing is going to picture. And kids, you can understand this. Think about what Jesus did. He was, he was seated at a table. Seated at the head of the table. He was in charge. He was in the place of authority. What did he do? He left that place of authority, stooped low to cleanse when he was finished, He took up his place again. And that's the pattern here. And maybe this afternoon when you go home, read Philippians 2. And it's pretty amazing how Jesus' actions coincide with Philippians 2. Now again, Jesus would have been seated at the head of the table. The place of authority. The king's place. And He, in verse 4, he rose from the table and he laid aside his outer garments. He humbled himself. He left his exalted position at the table and he humbled himself to serve and cleanse those he loved. It's what Paul said in Philippians 2, that Jesus did not count equality with God something to be grasped but what did he do he humbled himself and he took on the form of a servant listen again he laid aside his outer garment I should I should say this before I go on you know we're used to footnotes most of us have study Bibles and they're heavily footnoted You get a footnote, it'll say, see this verse back here, see this Old Testament verse. Well, the original Greek text didn't have those things, but they did, what they did do was have literary footnotes. They would use a key word or phrase to make the writer think of something else. And that's what John does here. 
when he says Jesus laid aside his outer garments, John is using the same word that Jesus used in John 10 when he said, I lay down my life that I may take it up again. See, John is saying, do you see this? Do you understand? But then the picture continues. He laid aside his outer garment, and taking a towel, he tied it around his waist. Now again, only servants did this sort of thing. And in fact, the word for towel meant a servant's towel. So what did he do? He essentially took off his outer garment and he put on a servant's outfit. Here is Jesus in the words of Paul taking the form of a servant. Here is Jesus in the words of Isaiah's prophecy being the suffering servant, donning our flesh, made in human likeness, stooping low, wearing the servant's outfit. But he stooped even lower and he washed, he cleansed the disciples' feet. Our kids, everyone wore sandals then, and so feet were stinky and dirty and gross. Uh, Most adults here don't even want you to look at their feet. Um, This was a tremendous act of humility. But how far did your Savior really humble himself? To the point of death. Even death on a cross. That's how low your Savior stooped that He might save you and cleanse you. That's how He loves you to the end. You see, Jesus is picturing His humiliation, how He let go willingly of His exalted position, laying aside the manifestation of His glory, and He stooped low to save to cleanse undeserving sinners like us. He suffered the most humiliating death known to the world. He was crucified, literally having his garments laid aside. Crucified naked and accursed of God, all because he loved his own who were in the world. But his humiliation didn't last forever. Look at verse 12. He put his garment back on and he resumed or he took up his place again. What did he do? When he resumed his place, he started to teach them. What did he do? He took up his place again at the head of the table. He resumed the king's seat. And here again is one of those beautiful literary footnotes because the word resume, again, John's taking us back to John 10. When Jesus said, I lay down my life that I might take it up again. 
We are intended to see Christ's exaltation after his completion of his humiliation. And again, what does Paul say in Philippians 2? He says that because of Christ's suffering and death, because he took the form of a servant, because he died the cursed death of the cross, therefore God has highly exalted him and given him a name above every name. And friends, the exalted Christ is now enthroned and He is still teaching us by His Word and His Spirit. He's still stooping low to our level to help us in our dullness and our sin to help us understand. This is what the disciples didn't understand until after the cross. And this is what we struggle to understand day by day. To live in light of this glorious gospel. In all of our failure and our sin, when we look at ourselves and think, how could Jesus really love me to the end? And here we are reminded of His grace toward us. We are so often sinful and proud and dull. We so often don't understand. And yet that does not prevent Jesus from stooping low to serve us and teach us. So this is Jesus' picture of the gospel, reminding and teaching us of what he has done for us and what he is still doing for us. But lastly, let's think briefly about his example for you. Jesus clearly says here that he has left us an example. In other words, that we too should take on the form of a servant. We should serve others. And here we are reminded that we cannot really become true servants until we have fixed our eyes upon the cross of Jesus Christ. Until we see the true servant who laid down his life for us, until we are reminded that we are sinners and we are humbled, and then we are in a place to serve. And again, Philippians chapter 2. Paul says something similar in verses 3 to 5. He says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. And he then goes on to talk about how Christ humbled himself and became a servant. And what, uh, the other passage I find striking is from 1 Peter 5.5. 5. Now, no one, I think, out of the disciples humiliated themselves more than Peter in the upper room. He was proud. He always spoke before he thought. And yet in 1 Peter 5.5, 5, he wrote, 
And I want you to listen to the language he chooses. Clothe yourselves. Clothe yourselves in humility, all of you. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Peter probably had that image of his Savior clothing himself in humility in the servant's outfit. Now, we know that we are to serve others, and we should be serving others. And yet it's often hard, and I want you to notice something here that is maybe not easy to hear, but I think it's important to hear, because I think there's a lesson here about serving others even when we have been betrayed and wounded. And those of you who have walked with Christ long enough have likely had this experience. You've given yourself to somebody. You've tried to serve them. You've tried to help them only to have them betray you, turn on you, and hurt you deeply. I want to submit to you that Jesus knows that more deeply than any of us. It's underlined in the text that Jesus knew that Judas was going to betray him. But he still washed Judas' feet. And Jesus didn't just go about this in a sort of mechanical way, saying, oh, well, well, this is going to fulfill Psalm 41. This caused him great pain. Verse 21, after saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit and testified, truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. And that word troubled means to be greatly shaken. Our Savior was heartbroken over the fact that one he had loved and served would reject him and betray him. And friends, if Jesus, the sinless King of Kings, still stooped to wash the feet of a traitor, how much more should we as men and women, boys and girls, continue to serve even when we have been hurt and wounded. And we could think about it this way. In a way, do we not betray Jesus every day in our sin? And yet He never stops loving and serving us. This is the Gospel lesson from the table. That Jesus left that exalted place with the Father. He donned our flesh. He became the suffering servant, living that life of obedience we never could have lived. And He stooped low to the point of death, even death on a cross. He was buried, but He was raised and enthroned again to the highest place where He continues to serve us and teach us and love us to the end. Let's pray.
Our Father and our God, we do confess that we are slow to understand. Lord, we struggle day by day to have our eyes fixed upon Jesus. Lord, we struggle to understand the gospel and live in light of it. But Lord, we thank you that Jesus, our great prophet, priest, and king, still ministers to us by his word and spirit. Lord, would you draw us to yourself today? Lord, as we behold your cross and all that your Son has done for us, would you cause our hearts to well up with love and worship? And would you implant deep within our hearts a desire to be like the one who came not to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many? Lord, make us like Christ. Make us humble servants in your kingdom. And we pray it might be for the glory of our great King Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen.